Welcome to Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah it is. It's Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah, it's Eve of Christmas Eve. It's double Eve. Yep. Evie, Evie. Sometimes we have... That means I'm not working uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Wow, we can record Sometimes all we have, Yeah, we could. Sometimes we have on-air Christmas gift exchanges that we have, but uh, I don't have any this year. In fact, well, I do have something for you, but I'm waiting for the crush of Christmas shipping to be over, and then I'll send it out. Excellent. Uh, we got you, like, we sent you your, like, gift of for you and Stephanie and baby and we said thanks for the baby, but uh, yeah, there is another additional portion of this gift to go to you as well. So. Oh yeah. So yeah, we got a package with no return address and we were like, who sent this? Because it was like a Miata plush toy. And like, well, this could be for three different people in this house. Could be for the dog. Could be for Andrew. Could be for my son. Yes. It was definitely for your son. It was something I saw and I said, you know, he's not old enough to have Hot Wheels cars yet, so I can't buy him Hot Wheels cars. And Andrew's probably going to buy him plenty anyway. So a plush Miata is a perfect gift for a, what is he, eight months now, nine months? Yeah, he's basically almost eight months. He'll be eight months. A Miata Miata plush toy is a perfect gift for the eight-month-old in your life. So Yeah. It almost looks like it was. It would be like a slipper, because yeah, because the, the convertible top. I thought the same thing yeah. when I got a picture of it, but it was super cute, and I decided that I couldn't not get it for you guys. So, yes, he can. You, 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 and the dog can fight the baby over it, but it's for the baby. So yeah. Well, no, it's funny because the you know the dog has soft, like squishy toys, mm-hmm. but they also make baby toys with like the same squeakers in them, right? So and then two, like, um, we have a, they make a plush Hess truck. So he has that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like a couple of times we like go to bed and, and occasionally the dog will just grab a toy and bring it to bed. And like, he's brought that up and I'm like, no, Enzo, that's not yours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plus if your dog's laying in bed with the Hess truck and he bites on it too much, it would turn the lights and siren on, which would probably be annoying in bed. It, it smartly has a switch. You can make it silent. Oh, okay. So it just has the lights, but it, it sings like three different songs now, which he really enjoys. So the baby fun. or the dog? The baby. Okay. Either way, as long as somebody's enjoying it, they did their job right. Anyway, but. yes, as 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 stated, Merry Christmas. Now, yes. To all our listeners, because I think this episode should be going out. Christmas Day or day after Christmas Day? Um, maybe I'll put it out Christmas Eve. Okay. Well, I, don't have, I don't have anything going on tomorrow, so definitely Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays yeah. and Happy Hanukkah and all the other ones. Yeah. Um, so been watching some videos. Videos. Because there's not much else to do. Yeah. Not much else to do. Sounds like you've had some time off. Because I have plenty to do because I've been working and then after working doing Christmas things. So, however, I have been watching some videos. Well, I mean, yeah, I've I've been working, but then oh, not much to do as because of pandemic things. Yeah, ah, I get where you're going with that. 
All right, that makes sense. Yeah. So yes, I've been I, also I, not doing much. And I, and I meant to bring this up on a past episode, but I um, I'd watched and I sent it to you. The dip your car people took an Evo mm-hmm. ten and they painted it with uh, Muso black, which is a black that absorbs like ninety five percent of all light, which is kind of crazy. Which uh, it's. After looking at this, it's not the first car that somebody's painted with a black like this, but yeah, it's the first time I'd seen it done. Yeah, it has been done before, but it's it's the first time it was done on a Mitsubishi, so it, it became uh, directed to us through our <laughs> social media because we see that kind of stuff. So, so I there's think actually an A4 or something I saw done on it before. Yeah, there's a really good podcast called 99% Invisible. It's about like design stuff and basically hidden design that you don't realize exists. But they did a story on a thing called Vanta Black, which was an aerospace coating. It's like carbon nanotubes and it absorbs like 99% of light or something. Okay. It's an insane coating, but it's like a coating. It's not really like a paint. So I, the, Long in the long and short of it is this British artist named Anish Kapoor partnered with that company that created it um, to have exclusive rights to it, which a lot of other artists were really upset that they would have one artist would have exclusive rights to a medium or a tool, you know? Yeah, that because seem, art, seem, art, art should be, yeah, you know, yeah, free expression. it should be. Yeah, exactly. And people, the reason why you would want to use a black this dark is because it can really like play with your brain and like hide things. And if you use it in an, an artistic way, um, I'm sure there's like really cool stuff you can do with it that I'm just not an artistic painter, so I don't know what to do with this. But um, anyway, what happened was uh, another artist got really mad. His name is Stuart Simple, and he developed his own black as black paint and was made available for everyone to use except for Anish Kapoor. <laughs> Which is awesome. Explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love those. I love those like really like petty little things that are thrown into, into this kind of yeah. stuff. That's good stuff. So they created, eventually it's called black 3.0. It's like super, super dark. And then this other company out of Japan came out with, Muso black, which apparently is an acrylic. And that's what they painted this car. And when you see this video, it's like really mind breaking because even now the black trim that they didn't paint, like the black plastic totally doesn't look black. Right. Well, like, I think I, I've heard somebody else describe it this way and I agree hundred percent with it. It, it makes the car look like the download content you didn't pay for in a video game. Yeah. It's like a, just a silhouette. Yeah, it doesn't have any. You can't see any of the creases in the body. You can't see anything. Yep. It just, it's really, really bizarre. Like it really messes with your sense of perception. And yeah, I could see why artists want to use that. Like you could, you could probably paint like stuff with it. uh, Yeah, you could paint like a three D bust of something, and then it would look like just a black hole. But if you allowed people to touch it, it would have like a facial feature, right? 
yep, it'd be so weird sense. and trippy. So until it's covered in fingerprints, and then yeah, you know, looks normal again. But but no, it's super cool. Anyway, um, it was just a cool video that yeah, dip, dip your car. I think was the I think you said that originally. Actually, that was the company that put out the video of it. It was covered on like Jalopnik and a couple other car sites. You can usually find yeah. it through. So it was. It's neat to see, and uh, I bet we'll start seeing that used in places. Um, I was thinking you probably start seeing it in movies and stuff to try kind of create different effects for for the movies, and it probably help with special effects and sometimes too. So yeah, you'd paint your camera cars in that color, so they blend in the background better. That's for sure. And um, reflect. Yeah, it's just like it's crazy black. It's just like probably they're. I'm sure they're using like the the fancy aerospace one for like advanced stealth aircraft. Yeah, stealth bombers. <laughs> yeah, I could see it would be a a good a good uh, technology for something like that. Bombers or tanks or whatever. Yeah, they need to hide yeah. giant boats. <laughs> but speaking of that, you sent me a video about a speaking of black cars 70 dodge challenger yeah really cool video um and the black ghost the black ghost so the video is put out by the hva which is the historical vehicle association which we'll chat a little bit about who they are afterwards because i didn't know much about them um but it's a pretty neat organization um they did a couple of haggerty was on the haggerty channel youtube channel right i know it's on the hva's channel the historic oh, okay. vehicle association um they have a, a partnership with haggerty but it was not on haggerty's uh, channel so um as long as you watch the one i sent you because there is one on haggerty's channel about the same car but it's much shorter this was like a 39 minute video yeah i watched the, the long one okay so a super cool story about the car um it's funny when you think about movie making and you think about documentary making you could make a documentary about the design, the evolution of how it came to be, the engine choices, what that particular nineteen that uh, the nineteen seventy Dodge Challenger was as a whole. But yeah. you wouldn't think that there'd be enough content in one car to create a video about you know forty minutes of information about this one particular car. You know, it seems like kind of a weird way to go about making a documentary. You know, and, and as as a car guy, we've all seen like, you know, the Petrolicious videos or um, some of like the Hoonigan um, autofocus videos will do a thing about a car, but it's definitely geared towards car people. And if you're not a car person, it's not going to get your attention at all. You know, you're not going to watch it. You'll start watching it and be like, this is boring. Next. This was like a normal documentary that non-car people I could see watching this and enjoying it because they went into not only a little bit of the history of a Dodge Challenger, but they went into the history of this particular Dodge Challenger and the person who bought it knew and his family and all the story around this one particular car. And they made an excellent documentary and uh, it's called the name of the documentary is just called, I think it's called the black ghost, right? And yeah, I think so. You can just Google uh, YouTube search it and it's on again the Historic Vehicle Associations page. Um what a cool story. <laughs> you know, it's 2020 and it's one of these stories where there are still barn finds out there. There are still forgotten cars. You know, this particular car came out of the hiding in 2015, but um it's 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 just a 
you know, I, I, I challenge anybody to watch it and not tear up a little bit by the end. Cause it's a really good emotional story about the car and the family involved with the car. So the, the basic of the story is it's a black 1970 Dodge Challenger, which is rare enough in itself. Triple black. Yeah, black on black with a black vinyl roof. But then black Gator vinyl roof. Yeah, I was gonna get to that next. But then on top of being triple black, it's a triple black with a gator grain roof, which is a super weird option. I didn't option. even know that was a thing. Chrysler had a few weird vinyl top options. Chrysler it was a it still is a crazy con- con- like company. Yeah. Like their offerings in the seventies. Is really what set them apart from everybody else. Do you know what a mod top is? No. So it was a vinyl top that was printed with flowers all over it. Huh. Yeah. And they had a paisley top too. That was a thing? Yeah. How yeah. rare are those? Very rare. And obviously a lot of them didn't survive. Yeah. And you know, if, if the top was redone in the 80s when the cars were 10 years old, then mm-hmm. you know, normal vinyl top on them. So but yeah, it's called a mod top. Which is a very like you know the '60s mod movement. Um, anyway, so it's a triple black, black exterior, black interior, black gator green vinyl roof, manual transmission car, and 426 Hemi car. So yeah. that combination, I mean, this car is probably one of one if you want to get into the pedantics of production. Um, it's got the white bumblebee stripe around the back. Super cool car. 70 challengers are one of the best looking of all the pony cars. In my opinion, yes. I think that most people would probably agree. They're a really good looking car. Um, and this car had the steel wheels with the little center caps and red line tires. And it was new and or white walls, whatever they were, it was cool looking. Um, and it's just a neat, neat car. And the story goes that this, um, veteran at the time, still active military bought this car brand new specced it out at the dealer and said, this is what I want. This is how I want it. I want all these options. And I also want the shaker hood, which is a cool part of the story. So Mm -hmm. the car gets built, gets delivered. It becomes this legendary street race vehicle in, um, in Detroit. Everybody knows of it. He doesn't race very often. It only came out when, you know, the, Top dog race cars were being undefeated. This 426 Hemi Challenger would come out and, you know, it had real low rear gears and they ran slicks in the street and they would just dominate the street races and then go home until they needed to come out again. And nobody knew who it was. Nobody knew anything about it. They just knew this black Challenger. And that was all they knew. Nobody knew that it was a police officer. <laughs> nobody knew anything else about this. They, just, they knew the yeah. car. So the whole thing goes into a story about it. And unfortunately, the man who owned the car brand new has passed away. Um, so the story is told through a friend of his at the time, um, his son, and some archival footage that they had of this guy doing interviews. I'm not sure where that came from. Didn't really explain that. Yeah, I don't know. Didn't really explain that, but they had archival footage of him talking about his life, which was a pretty neat addition to the, to the piece. So basically, the, the car went parked in the 90s. Um, parked even earlier than that. He parked it in the 80s. Yeah, they had a small blip of life in the 90s when they got it running one day, but never took it out of the garage, right? That's how the story went? Yeah, yep. So it was parked since the 80s, you're right, Um, until 2015 when he passed away. And then his son, who wasn't particularly a car guy, inherited the car. Um, 
and his father's last wishes were just like, don't give it away. <laughs> so yeah. his, his son inherited the car and decided, you know, as a lot of people would do that inherit something like that. Hey, I'm going to keep my dad's memory alive and we're going to restore this car. Not knowing anything about cars. <laughs> he gets involved in getting the car running again and something in his brain as a non-car guy, it's hard to see how he even thought this way. He said, don't restore this car. Just get it running and make it the way it was when dad had it. Which yep. is kind of neat to see because most non-car people would be like, when are you going to paint that car? The paint's a little faded or it's got a dent in the quarter panel. Like, when are you going to fix that? And for some reason, this guy didn't do any of that stuff. He just, he, he managed to get in contact with a friend of his dad's that had helped get the car running one day back in the 90s, uh, who happened to be like a huge Mopar expert who, who came in and, and consulted and helped and got this car running. Yeah, basically it was like, do not do anything to this car. Yeah, and he was like, you made the right choice. We're not taking this car apart. We're just going to make it run as is and keep it the way it is. Um, so kudos to the original guy for doing that. And then for this guy for being like, yeah, good choice. We're keeping it this way. The car is too nice to take apart and too original to take apart and too rare to take apart. So they spent a year getting the car running um, and getting the car back out and driving around. And, you know, we're giving obviously the short version of it. I don't want to tell every detail of the story because I want you guys to watch it because it's a good show. <laughs> and I definitely want to support this HVA now that I'm learning more about it. Um, but a couple of key points from the story. Um, cars are more than cars. And that's the thing that we've always preached on this podcast. You know, cars are what bring us all together and make us all friends. And they, you know, our family's built around cars and your family's built around cars. And it's just the way it is. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's neat to see other people have that same passion and, and love and thing that connects them together. Um, the cool thing about this Challenger is that if it wasn't for this owner and this Challenger, the Challenger never would have been available with the Shaker Hood. That was a neat part of the story because he ordered it with a Shaker Hood. And when he went to the dealer to pick it up, it didn't have a Shaker Hood. And it turned out that Dodge had put it on the option sheet, but hadn't left it at production as an exclusive for the Barracuda instead of the Challenger. Uh, yep. So he sued Dodge saying, hey, I paid for it. It's on the sheet. I checked it off. Where's my hood? So Dodge lost in court and had to make the shaker hood available for the Challenger. Hmm. And they had to deliver him one to his dealership and pay to have it installed and not have any money out for him. Uh, this particular car does not have a shaker hood to this day because the owner didn't trust the dealership to take care of his car when they had it. So he took the shaker hood to his house and left it in a box in the corner for the entire time he had the car. So they also have a brand new inbox shaker hood for the car, which is cool. Um, and the last kind of point of the whole story is just like, cars are an important place in American history, you know, and this, and this story brought all that kind of stuff together. Cause it tells the story of a wartime, you know, flack of uh, a wartime hero. You know, um, it tells a story of seventies and eighties Detroit. You know, it tells the story of, uh, uh, a minority family growing up in that time in that, in that part of the country. And it's just this neat little his look back into history of a different time and a different place and a different world that we're in now. 
and the historic vehicle association um picks two cars a year to put photographs all documentation and history of into the library of congress and this vehicle was one of two cars that was entered into the library of congress this year by the historic vehicle association so it's it's really neat to see that there are people that care enough about the american automotive history to go beyond just the car guy you know it goes beyond just andrew and me sitting here talking about how much we like old mitsubishis like there's so much more behind all this and there's so much more history behind it and it's it's really it's it's neat to see the appreciation of it somewhere else and and to know that this year Uh, um you know i had it looked up and then i forget it was like a Stutz, like 21 Stutz. Yeah, so the car basically Duesenberg, has to yeah, have... 20, 21 Duesenberg. Significant historical uh, provenance. Yeah. Like, like it's it has to be... There's a reason it can't just be... Uh, well, like one of last year's introductions was serial number 001 Camaro. Yeah. And there's actually a little piece on the HVA's YouTube channel about that particular car as well. So it's it's every year they, they select two cars to go with. I have not watched the information on the 21 Duesenberg yet. Um, that didn't catch my eye like a 70 Challenger does. Um, it's a super cool looking car as well. And I'll, I'm definitely going to go ahead and watch it next. I just haven't got there yet. Okay. I just, something about this, this Challenger video, I'm not even sure what made me click on it and watch it. And uh, I'm, I've never even been like a giant 70s Mopar guy other than my mitsumo pars but yeah it was just something about the video i was like oh, that sounds interesting and it, it's a 39 minute video and i still watched it <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's uh it's we, we talk all the time about youtube and youtube videos and and there's quality out there if you know where to find it and this is one of those ones that was it kind of blew my mind that how about this video was because it wasn't what i expected at all um and it wasn't just exclusively about the car like i said it was about all those other things it was about you know the the social aspect of the world at the time and you know the history of this police officer and his military history and just the the whole the whole thing was just it was really neat so i dig it and the cool thing is that five years after you know this man passed away and the son got the car running the son kept it and he has no plans on selling it and he takes he takes it out and uses it like you know i use my camaro going to a car show now and again or just going for a cruise with the family and, and brings it home, puts it away. It doesn't matter that this is a probably multi-million dollar car. He's just enjoying it as his dad's old car, which I can appreciate, you know, because. Well, that's the other thing. If you, if you sold a car like that, you'd have to get capital gains tax. Yeah, probably. But um, if you have no money and you, then you have millions, your capital gains tax is, you know, going to be okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But regardless, actually, no, he could probably donate that now for something because of its historic vehicle register. Oh, maybe. It could be some kind of yeah. way. But regardless, the, the plan is not to ever get rid of it and to pass it down to his son. Um, yep. And that's just a neat story. And his son, he seems like he's probably about 12 or 13. Um, and he was just into it as his dad was. You know, he was excited about the car and, you know, it's it's all doom and gloom when you read these articles about the future of the car hobby and the future people are in the cars. And 
you just you need to get the right people in the right cars and give them the right experiences and i don't think it's all doom and gloom for real i think there's plenty of history no. out there it's it's, it's going to be different of course it's just it'll be a, a change like it always is like the, the car hobby is not the same now as it was 30 years ago and it won't be the same in 30 years as it is now so and places like the hva are going to see that you know this is a preserved thing in our future and and the car hobby will will go and grow and and continue to flourish in whatever way it needs to and however it needs to adapt and become what it is in the future but highly recommended video um i have said that three or four times already uh, i would definitely watch it um amongst a lot of garbage on youtube it's a a rare gem you know it's like i said it's it's, it's documentary style is if it was produced as a video about lions by National Geographic, it'd be that same kind of quality, I think. You know what I mean? So, good story. Good car. Good video. Fully enjoyed. Any other videos? Watched? Uh, I watched... There's a new video about Pikes Peak. Um, yeah. It's a new series in the Motor Trend channel. Mm-hmm. And I'm terrible because I didn't write down the name of the show. It's Pike's Peak on the Edge. On the Edge, yeah. Um, it's produced by the Motor Trend um, app. Um, and it focuses on five drivers that are making their attack on Pike's Peak this year. And it has a lot of stuff about the differences in 2020, you know, being later in the year and the temperatures being different and there not being any spectators and the whole change dynamics of, of it as it's 2020. Um, one of the really neat things is one of the five people that they're focusing on is right. Jeff Wart. Yeah. Uh, who's, I forget how many times champion of Pike speak. Um, he's Porsche's official photographer. <laughs> he always races Porsches. He, he was racing in Porsche's new 935, which is, I think a one of one car that's built to as the anniversary of the 935 race car from the 70s, which he he talks about in the series that, you know, it's funny how it kind of comes full circle. His career began shooting pictures of 935s, and now here he is, you know, nearing his retirement racing in a 935. So that was kind of cool. But again, that's another one. It's it's very well shot. Um, I can't remember the other drivers' names. They're not big names. They're all three of the remaining four are professional race car drivers. Um, but not like names you're going to know of NASCAR or IndyCar. Just there are so many professional drivers in this world that you don't realize until you start watching stuff like this or hearing about other people in the industry that know these people. There are a lot of people out there that are professional drivers that do, you know, third seat in a 24 hour race car or smaller racing series, like a spec racing series somewhere and they get paid to race cars and it's it's funny you only think about the nascar or indycar or nhra or just the names that you'd hear on your sunday morning shows but there's so much racing going on out there there are lots of professional race car drivers that don't get a spotlight so it was kind of neat to see that in this i mean obviously everybody knows jeff zwart who's been around any kind of porsche stuff in the past 40 years so he, he wasn't looking for any publicity but these other these other four drivers they're a little a little less known and it's neat to see them get the coverage that they're getting um pikes peak's a cool event i know you've been there andrew right oh yes 
I was there when, um, um, oh my God, the French guy. Why am I having a blank right now? Oh, the French guy. Oh my gosh. Guy oh Fredrickson. Huh? Uh, the French robot there that I call him. Sebastian Loeb? Why? Sebastian Loeb. Yeah, one of the Sebastians, Sebastian Loeb. Yeah, when he broke the record for Peugeot. Okay. Which has since been broken by the Volkswagen EV. So I think it was broken in between, too, by the Mitsubishi EV, wasn't it? Monster Takahima. Yeah, but that's his own vehicle. It's not the... I don't remember. Yeah, I think... Don't remember. A couple years. The Volkswagen owns the record now. I know that. The all-electric Volkswagen. But I think that in between, the all-electric Mitsubishi also did it before the Volkswagen did. But anyway, so what year were you there? 13. So was it all pavement yet, or is it still dirt? It had just gone to all pavement. That's why Peugeot wanted to break the record. Okay. They want to be the first. Yeah. Interesting. So it is It is neat to see um, the changes in the track from, they did a lot of footage from, uh, you know, back in the days when it was dirt, which was the entire history of it up till now. It's the second oldest motorsports event in the United States. I didn't know that. Second the oldest, oldest is uh, Indy. Yeah. Yeah. Mount Washington. <laughs> no, Mount Washington is... According to this video, it was Indy and then Pikes Peak. Ooh, that is disputed because okay. uh, that is a disputed claim because Mount Washington claims to be like one of the oldest. Hmm. I wonder if it's uh, based on years that events weren't run because Pikes Peak's probably been more continuous than Mount Washington has been. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, that's Could a good trivia to look up. Yeah, I'll have to figure that out. So anyway, it's one of the oldest motorsports event in the country, no matter what. Um so it's certainly been through its changes of things, but now it's all paved. Um, and it's obviously that dynamic is different, but it's amazing watching the cars go up, how bumpy the place still is. It's no less difficult. No, it certainly isn't. And the attrition rate this year was super high. Like the amount of cars that crashed were much more than a normal year for some reason. Yeah, because now instead of you, before you had some slip, to the cars, you could drift them around. Now it's just grip, 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 arrow, crash. And when it runs out, it's gone and the car just goes off. You yep. don't like cars don't spin out, they just go off. And that's one of the things that they're talking up to Jeff Swarton about. And he says, You don't spin on Pikes Peak. He's like, Maybe somebody has. He goes, But it's rare. He goes, Once you once you've lost it, you're you're all done. There's no you don't spin and then put new set tires on and keep going. You just you crash. That's it. You're all done. So what was cool was they also did a quick little segment on um, Randy Popes, who was driving a Tesla up this year. And he crashed the Tesla in practice. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah. And uh, it's funny to interview him afterwards and this, you know, saying what happened. He's like, well, I went into the corner. He goes, it's very bumpy and the suspension loaded up. He goes, and I think I must have just bottomed out the suspension and there was no more travel and the back got loose. And they're saying, well, you know, what's, you know, what's the cause and what's, you know, how, what's the fix? And he goes, I think I just took the corner too fast. <laughs> and that's such a professional race car driver thing to say, like, why did you crash? I was going too fast. Yeah. 
<laughs> the, the speed was okay. The corner was too tight. Yeah, exactly. But in his case, the speed was okay, but the suspension didn't have enough travel. That's basically what he said. But what was cool was, you know, obviously these are all big dollar race teams. And one of the cool things about Pikes Peak is that it's one shot. You get one shot. That's it. You know, you yeah, whether it's raining, dry, it doesn't matter. It does it's... not matter. Yeah. And you get one shot. There's there's qualifying based on segments uh, during practice, but there's no like qualifying the whole run from top to bottom. And then you get one shot. It's not multiple runs over the weekend. It's everybody gets to go from the bottom to the top and then the event is over. So you put all this preparation and all this work into it all year round for your one shot. So if you wreck in practice, you know, you're SOL for an entire year, which obviously nobody wants. So Randy Popes crashed that Tesla in practice um, and he did a number on it. Like he ripped the subframes out of it and he twisted the whole thing. Um, But with the cage inside the car, the structure of the car, the shape of the car seemed close enough that they went out and bought a new Tesla from a dealership. And brought the two of them into a repair facility, a body shop in Colorado, and put them on two lifts next to each other and took all the brand new parts out of the brand new Tesla and put them on the race car. So <laughs> crazy. That tells you the kind of budget they have. You know, that's, that's what, what's a Model 3, a sixty-five, $70,000 car? Yeah. You know, and there aren't any dealerships, I don't think. I think there probably had to be like a, a loaner car or something because they're all special order. Probably. You can't go to a dealer and, and buy a new one off the lot, I don't think. But. It was neat to see the amount of camaraderie in, in the race teams. And, you know, it's it's kind of the same thing we see at Rally because, you know, it's a very similar feel to the type of motorsport that it is. You know, mm-hmm. where there's, there's heavy competition, but at the same time, everybody wants everybody to complete their lap. You know, and they were talking about one of the teams is running at FRS. It's actually being built by uh, Evasive Motorsports. It's a big, you know, a big turbo tuner shop has been kind of famous since back in the sport compact car days. Um, they were having issues with the initial with electrical systems in their FRS. And uh, the Tesla team came over and helped them fix it. So it's like, it's neat to see that kind of camaraderie in motorsports. And I don't know, it's just another good one to watch. If you have the Motor Trend app, um, which is free if you have Prime, I think. Oh, pretty sure it's included well, in the Prime to, membership, but it's definitely included well, in the Haggerty Insurance. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. So yeah, you should definitely find a way to watch it, Andrew, because it's it's definitely it's definitely a neat a neat documentary. A lot of it they do a lot of stuff with uh, Larry Chen on it as well. Yep. He's now the official photographer of Pikes Peak. Yeah, he's been a couple of years at that now. And uh, as of this year, he's also sponsored by Canon, so he gets all kinds of new gear from them to do it with. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is, which is the dream, right? Mm. <laughs> I'm surprised it took them this long to sponsor him because he's been, you know, one of the top motorsports photographers for a long time. But it's funny to see because I, I've seen interviews with him in the past where he talks about, you know, how Jeff's wart is one of his influences and one of his heroes as far as photography goes. And it's neat to be watching this and you see Jeff's wart sitting there talking about Larry Chen like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So it must be neat to have yeah. somebody you look up to and somebody who's your hero growing up talking that kind of, you know, putting that kind of praise on you as and you're in the same career they're in. So that was kind of neat. It was neat to see because, you know, Jeff Swart was kind of like, yeah, he's Larry's one of the best in the game. There's, there's nobody better than him. 
So just me coming from the guy who is literally the, you know, official photographer for Porsche. So, but it's cool. I, uh, I enjoyed it. I, uh, have, haven't had many, um, project car updates. So I've been filling my automotive space with watching car documentaries. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the way it's been the past. There's been so much going on with getting ready for the holidays and what whatnot that by the time you have some free time, you don't want to go outside and work on a car. You're just like, I'm going to sit in the couch. Also, we got a new couch. So oh, that's cutting into my productivity too because it's really comfortable. Yeah. So, And when you buy something like that, you need to use it, right? I mean, it just makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. We've got this nice big... You know, huge sectional piece. So, so much room to to spread out and relax and watch documentaries for the holidays. <laughs> so, speaking of uh, some car news, uh, I was looking that Mahindra can now sell in the U.S. again. They're a little rockstar. Oh, really? What happened? Um, they redesigned it slightly. Okay. Uh, to satisfy Chrysler's requirements. Did they make the Jeep horizontal? They make the, the Jeep real horizontal instead of vertical. Something like that. It looks more like an early um, FJ eighty. Oh, not a sixty. Uh, I mean, what? How how different can you make a utilitarian vehicle look? It's well, you know, I, it's I like, always got mad about that whole thing because they were definitely built under license in India, and Jeep should get off their high horse because their design wasn't original either. You know, yeah. Willis and Ford owned the original designs for the G8 for the Jeep, and Chrysler just inherited it all these years later, pretty much. Yeah, like, and then companies. Um, so I didn't realize that's how they sell them in the U.S. Here is because they are sold as UTVs. Yeah, and that's why they can register them in where you live in Arizona. Well, you can register anything in Arizona. So, okay, yeah, fair, but I would. Um, yeah, I'd rather have that than a UTV because it's more like an actual vehicle. So to me, it's a turbo diesel original Jeep CJ3. Yeah. That's what it looks like to me. And I've looked at them often. The problem is they're expensive. I don't know if they're the same. I'm assuming they're the same size as the Mahinda Jeeps that I saw in India. Yeah, they're small. And they're they're just, side-by-side they're, size. And, okay, well, the, the ones I saw were just normal Jeep size. Well, have you seen a side-by-side lately? Yes, they're pretty big. They are quite large. They are probably the same size as an old CJ. And that's the funny thing, because elsewhere in the world, anything that's a 4x4 SUV is generally slang called a Jeep. Yep. Ontario Piero, Jeep. Toyota, FJ, Jeep. This Mahindra thing, Jeep. Like, they'll just call them Jeeps. That's just what they call them. So... Obviously, they're going to make them look like a Jeep. Yep. I don't know. It's kind of dumb, but Uh yeah, I don't think you could use them. I don't think Mass does UTVs. So Mass does limited use plates. Yeah. Um, But what comes with a limited use plate is you also have limits on how far you can go. Yeah. So maybe if you lived on one of the two islands that Mass has. Yeah. Well, I've, thing. I've seen side-by-sides on streets in Salem before, but they have that limited use plate and it's usually owned by a company or something that's just going between two properties. 
Yeah. So you'll see the plate says LU. So I'm looking at Roxoras right now for what they what they go for. Um with a manual they come with a, like a proper manual transmission, which you can't get in the side by side. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. I'd rather have that over a side by side. Yeah, thirteen grand. Yeah, what's a side by side cost? Twenty six? These things yeah, are expensive. Yeah, a two a two seat, two door side by side, the non turbo ones start down around thirteen to fifteen grand. So uh yeah. Um that's a nineteen for thirteen grand. The new twenty twenty. Oof. Well that one's got a cab. All right, twenty twenty Mahindra Roxor. That's the new design. Is uh fourteen seven ninety nine. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Roxor Automatic seventeen seven ninety nine. Oof. Yeah, I'm not. You have a really good use case for it because I it's that's a hard sell for me to spend fourteen grand on one of these things. I'd like to drive one. Um, I like yeah. to see what their on road manners are like. You know, I've I've driven a, a side by side, and the problem is they're not good on pavement. Um, they're super loud, which is annoying because they have mm-hmm. that. Um, I mean, I'm sure this thing is not quiet. It's, I bet it's not as loud as a UT as a side by side though. Yeah, the side by sides because they have that. Um, slipper clutch style, uh, what do you call it? Snow, snow, yeah, snowmobile style transmission. So there's always like super knobbies, super knobby tires. And they're always in like high RPM range, and they're they're not good on pavement. <laughs> but in their defense, they're not designed for pavement, so it's fine. No, these here you can put a normal truck tire on it, and I wonder if it's a little better on pavement. It's probably no worse than an old Jeep. And the way I'm looking at it, if you can buy a 2019 for $13,995, which is a brand new vehicle with a warranty, with parts availability, um, what's an old CJ cost? Right. You know, I think a, they're pretty expensive, though. A nice a nice condition CJ5 or a CJ3 or a CJ4 is going to cost the same kind of money, at least, if not more, for a really nice one. So I, I think there is a use case if they're half decent on pavement. You would need to get a couple of options like the doors and the windshield, the windshield specifically. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I kind of, I'd like to drive one. I don't know what the, yeah, I like to drive it. And I bet that the resale value is not very high. No. So in a few no. years when they're, if you buy like a 2014 or a 2015, it'd probably be fairly inexpensive. But I dig them. I like them. And then I saw the Alpha Ace EV concept. Now, I know we give a lot of shit on renders, and this is totally a render. It's the startup company in California that wants to build this little EV runabout for, like, in the city. But it's really, really cool looking. I have two thoughts on that, Gar. All right. One, it's a render, so I'm not holding out hope. No, no. Two, it reminds me in its design of like one of those stylized kids toys. Like yep. the ones that you would buy at like an FAO Schwartz versus a Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah. They had like this, but, I'm trying to describe what it is, but it's a really neat looking car. It looks like a modern interpretation of, I think you said it, an Alpha. I Yeah, I said GTV. Some people are like 510. But I see that slope, yeah, that the slope, slope back of the Alpha. The slope looks like a cartoonized version of an so, Alpha. So this car is spelled Alpha like Alpha Omega. Okay. Yeah, A-L-P-H-A. Not Alpha Romeo. Yeah. But it's definitely what they're going for. Now, again, it's a render. It's early on. 
there's a lot of electric car startups right now. Yeah. Um, but it's not a friggin' bubble car. I don't want a bubble car. If you want to get people excited about EVs, make them look cool. Yeah. Like nothing undersells the future than this like glob with wheels on it. Like, like that Zook thing that's coming out soon. I, I mean, I was arguing in, in Facebook comments with this guy. Not really arguing, but he's like, Oh, it's Facebook. Well, it was definitely an argument. He's like, well, if you want like an EV car and you don't have to put like an in- internal combustion engine in it, then you should, they should rip off like uh, whatever the Fiat like van thing that was like a van again. The so multiple. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> like, no, I want a three box sedan. I like it because it looks like that. There needs to be a stepping stone to, for people like yeah. that are used to cars. And I'm like, it doesn't matter that one of the, he's like, well, one of the boxes was made to hold the engine. It's like, it doesn't matter. That can just be more storage. A cargo space now because yeah. the, these things are being designed to use the, the EV skateboard chassis that everybody's coming out with. So yep. it's like, you know, where the, all the batteries are in the floor and the motors are way down low. And then you just have basically a flat pan. Yep. And the design of the car is carte blanche to do what you want at that point. Yeah. So I, so I, I agree. I think, I think what it is, is people who, were born and are around and know what a car is are going to be more comfortable switching to something that looks like a car still. Exactly. That's, that's where it's at. So that's, and, have a, and then maybe in the future they could slowly design that away to a point where, you know, it just becomes a box on wheels. Well, at the same time, you, part of the three box designs um, bonus is that it's, it's efficiency as far as drag coefficient and, um, making the car slippery because at the end of the day, a box is going to be a box and it's going to well, be a brick it, going down the road and you're going to have to push a brick down the road. It's going to take more energy. Well, if you do want to make uh, a vehicle that will transport like six people in it comfortably, then yes, it will look like a, a box, right? It'll yep. look like that weird uh, autonomous like Zooks thing. Yeah, Zook, I think it was called. Uh, that's like a taxi cab. But if I want a personal vehicle, I want it to look cool because it for me the vehicle i drive needs to look good right <laughs> like this is one of the reasons why golf uh e-golfs sold so well is because they look like golfs and they act like golfs when you drive them yep uh actually those just uh those are being discontinued because volkswagen is coming out with their other their id3 and id4s but why else would volkswagen design an electric vehicle that looks like their their original transporter because it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, no question. There needs to be... Like in Back to the Future, when Marty's like, Doc, why would you use a DeLorean? He's like, well, if you're going to build a time machine, might as well do it with some style. <laughs> That's a valid point. Everything yeah. goes back to that movie all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't hate the idea of electric cars anymore. You know, I've come to agree that hey it's probably part of i don't either but like if that vehicle existed and it has like 250 miles of range that's like a perfect city car 250 miles is excessive for a city car it can be 150 miles and be okay yeah so no i like it and i said we've we've had the electric car discussion in this house because once this whole work from home thing is, is over and people start going back to their offices. You know, Naomi's going to need a car that she can get in the 
HOV lane with because she's going to have a longer commute. So we talked about electric cars because here in Arizona, the car has to be a full electric car to get access to the HOV lane or, you know, multiple passengers. But if you're by yourself, it can't be a hybrid or anything like that. It needs to be a full, right. full electric car. So we've, well, had the, we've had the discussion for sure. Speaking of another car with some cool style, I saw the, and I sent it to you, the Tipo 184. Yes. Which is a project from Ant Anstead of our favorite car show, Wheeler Dealers. Yep. And he, he has designed a kit with some other people to take Miata components and build it into something that looks like a pre-war Formula One car. Yeah, it looks like an old Alpha. Yep. So Full tube chassis basically runs Miata engine transmission, rear diff, some other components, and there's some custom stuff for like radiators and things. Yeah, and it's like ten grand. And it's single seater. And they hide, you see it with the wheel off, they hide the disc brake inside the like fake, the fin, fin drum. Aluminum. Yeah, yeah, the fin drum. Yeah. yeah, they're super cool, no question. I think that this this concept goes back a long ways, back to like the 60s when companies made the Bugatti kits. They called them, mm-hmm. they called them Bugattis because they were based on Volkswagen <laughs> Beetles. Um, but they never looked quite right. And you could always look at one and be like, oh, that's a Volkswagen Beetle under there. Because they had yeah. to hide the engine, the flat four inside the bodywork. And the big giveaway always was a suspension. So yeah. when I first heard about this project, I didn't have much hope for it for that same reason. Because they're using Miata subframes. So I figured, well, it's going to have to hide the Miata subframe. And it's going to look ungainly and wide. Um, but the front of Miata does use double wishbone. So Yep. And somehow they made it so that it all just looked vintage. It doesn't. You don't look at it and go, that's a Miata. You don't look at no. it and go, that's some fiberglass homebrew on top of Miata suspension. No, the um, proportions are really well done. It, it looks really good. It looks really good. And I, I was I was blown away when I saw it, finally the finished product. I, I definitely like that a lot. I uh, If I had everything else I wanted for cars, I would certainly consider building one of those. My only main problem with it, and I discussed this with you earlier, I don't get the use case for it. Yeah, I don't know where I'd use it. Because it's not That's technically street legal. It's got no lights, no windshield. Um, it's not technically racetrack legal because it's got no safety equipment. You know, there's no roll bars. There's no proper seat belts or seats or or anything. Um, it's neat. It's and, and it's what I would say could be a track toy, but you need to make sure that tracks are going to allow it out there first. You know, even a lot of local track day stuff, they don't let you run a convertible without a roll bar, right? That's correct. So yeah. this thing doesn't have a, a does, this doesn't even have an A pillar. Like, no, nothing it looks in like there. it sort of had an integrated hoop, but um, not really above your head. Yeah, there's not enough, I don't think, to make it, you know, unfortunately, we've seen what happens in these old open cockpit race cars. You know, we, we unfortunately were there when a man passed away racing one at Lime Rock a few years back. You know, it's it's very dangerous when your head is the crumple zone. So helmet or not, the things attached to your to your helmet, like your head and your neck, are still very, you know, it's neat. And I wish Ant Anstead and the company behind it well and they sell a ton of them. I just, I'm lacking the use case of this vehicle. I think I'm offer with clip-on lights and stuff to make them street legal. I don't know. 
I don't know. Because if that's the case, I'd be more into it. And at that that point, it's like it kind of becomes a motorcycle as far as use case goes. Like it's a single person vehicle, but it's cool. And it'd be something that's, you know, wind in your hair. Maybe good for somebody who wants a motorcycle but can't, you know, hold a motorcycle up anymore or doesn't want to have two wheels or like to have four wheels. If it could be made street legal, I might be more on board. I just, I don't know what the proper use case for it is. I think the cool thing is it looks like an old race car. It probably has the same power as an old 1930s Alpha, but from a reliable, you know, Miata four-cylinder, it'll just go and go and Mm -hmm. go and go. So that's cool. Uh, Super cool. Yeah. And I like the price of it. It's like, it's something that could be attainable for, you know, average middle-class guy in his garage could build that. You know, there's the, what's the company that makes the Bugatti kits stuff now? Persang. Oh, those are like, but they're, they're quarter million dollars or more. Well, the Persang is when you already own a Bugatti, but that's worth too much to actually drive it. So you buy a high grade copy. Yeah, exactly. But it's that, it's that same kind of style just in something that's more, you know, normal user priced. So, but the Persangs, the use case is you're a rich guy and you can tell the the teletrack what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas this is like the track, the track management's going to look at you like you want to do what with what? No, our liability doesn't allow for that. So I, I I dig it, and if and if they come up with a good use case for it, I'm all on board. But I'm just a little, it's a little off to me about what that use case is. So the big thing I took away from all of this, Andrew, is I didn't realize what a celebrity Aunt Anstead was until you showed me today. I didn't either. That yeah. blew my mind. <laughs> he was married to some TV show host from some flipping, flopping, flipping house thing. It's flipper flop. There you go. It's like the biggest show on HGTV because my wife and I watch it sometimes. So the the two main people on the show, uh, I always forget that it's like Taruk Musad or something. I always forget his name. Um, he they were they were married to each other. They were on the show for many years. They were very publicly divorced, like all in the tabloids, but they still partner up to flip these houses, like super expensive homes all through California. And HGTV is part of Discovery Network, which Wheeler Dealers is on Discovery Network. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's they were at like the company Christmas party or something and met each yeah. other. <laughs> but yeah, it, I didn't realize that they were like a, a thing until last night. And I was like, well, that which, blows my mind. Which they're no longer a thing. No, they are. No, they're divorced. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's what uh, I was saying. I was I was looking at this. I typed Aunt Anstead in to find the information about this car, and it was all stuff from like weekly, not weekly world news, but what's the National Enquirer and Us oh. Weekly and Cosmopolitan and all it these must different. Be pretty recent then. <laughs> yeah, it must be, and all these different tabloids about the split and divorce of flipper flop lady and Aunt Anstead are wheeler dealers. And oh, the weird. fact that his name didn't just come up with wheeler dealer stuff was like, what, <laughs> why is this even a thing? So yeah. And it's all about Aunt Anstead's holiday plans. And how he's going to spend them alone for the first time in however long. And like, can't even see his kids because lockdown in England. And I was just like, what? I don't care about this. I don't care about his life. I just want to see the cars he's building. <laughs> what is this business? But yeah. I, I assume he is that kind of celebrity now because he married her who's so popular. Hmm. And then divorced Weird. her. So 
anyway, that it's such is the life of the Hollywood tabloid. Like all those Hollywood people are married and divorced every 10 seconds. So I feel like it's a weird LA thing, but it's strange to us. Uh, Yankees. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's like a, uh, what do you call it? When like Royals marry other Royals to keep Royal bloodlines. It's like that kind of not feudalism. There's a word for it. I'm trying to think of. But, I don't know. But anyways, it's that kind of thing where celebrities, you know, get together with these celebrities and marry and have kids and then divorce, marry another celebrity to have kids to try to like up their celebrity power, I guess. I never pictured Ant Anstead as a celebrity. He's just this guy who fixes cars on a TV show you watch. But I guess in the world of California, Hollywood, New York, uh, New York, California, Hollywood relationships, it's, he must be a celebrity now. So it's just weird because he's new to the whole scene versus Mike Brewer. And Mike Brewer's never been like a celebrity beyond car people. Yeah. So although they have one of the most popular car shows ever made. Yeah, but like Mike Brewer was at Redwood too. Yeah, just hanging out. Like perfect deal. Yeah, Yeah, people weren't really swarming him. Yep. But I'm sure that Anstead now, who's you know a tabloid guy, probably would be because maybe it goes back to that same thing we always talk about. You know, people only buy the cars they're told to buy. People only follow the celebrities they're told to follow. Maybe that's what it is. I guess. I don't know. Whatever. That's that's outside of my purview by a mile and a half. So way outside of this podcast yeah. subject matter too. Well, yeah. no, normally it is, but hey, if somebody who we've chatted about on this before is now in the celebrity limelight, then it's gonna come to fruition a little bit. We're just not gonna get into his. I don't. I don't care about his divorce and his whole details of all that. But it's just interesting. You brought it up. I, of course, I did. It's related. And I'm, you're not gonna make me feel bad about that, Andrew. <laughs> I didn't. I, I wasn't reading Us Weekly and saw Ant Anstead. I was actually searching out Ant Anstead things. <laughs> Damn it, he caught me. Well, anyway, do you uh, have any correlated Christmas ornaments hanging, Andrew? Or is that just me? Uh, I think we do. I didn't really look. I didn't decorate the tree. Damn it! So lame. It's all Stephanie. Well, I enjoy hanging my car ornaments on the tree, so. I always do that. I always do that. That question fell flat. You're supposed to say yes and describe something, but that's okay. We'll leave Good it talk. at that. Good talk. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave no, it and the podcast at that. How's that sound? I just never think of it. I know a lot of people hang like Hot Wheels. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, we don't have a lot of car stuff around our house. Yeah, you're we weird. keep it relative in one room. Yeah, you're low-key. I'm not low-key. No. So. No, I don't want to be like. Boom! Cars everywhere. I want it to look like a, a normal house. <laughs> well, honestly, I I have it pretty subtle. I just I have two two glass cabinets in the living room, on either side of the entertainment center that have cars in them. But as far as decorations in the house that are car related, that's pretty much it. I mean, I have I have my office where I work out of. I have stuff on the shelves here, but that's my office. But oh sure, yeah, my my spaces have stuff, but yeah, not the general living areas. Well, I, uh, I, I don't know. I spend a lot of money on this stuff, and to me, it's my quote-unquote art. So I, I like having it around. And, you know, we mm-hmm. talked early on about what we're going to have on display, and she's got bicycle stuff, and I have car stuff, and we each have our own areas, and it, uh, it works out well. So unfortunately, I have a little bit more of an area because I have more stuff, but that's because I've been collecting stupid diecasts for how old am I? 
almost 40. So almost 40 years. <laughs> so anyway, but yes, I have Christmas decorations all over my tree that are cars. Um, I've been doing that. Uh, I'm sure people have noticed the uh, diecast daily on our auto off topic pages. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've been, I did this week all Christmas themed cars because I had more than I thought I had. Um, but a lot of them are Hallmark ornaments, which is neat. And then a couple other weird diecasts that are not Hallmark stuff, but I'd say, you know, you have too many diecasts when you can do a week of Christmas themed diecasts. It's true. Yeah, it's true. I did ask you to do some homework, so hopefully you'll be able to do it. Is that like your top five castings of 2020? That's coming out next week. That's going to be next week's awesome. theme. Yeah, awesome. we're going we're gonna to do one a day. And then we're going to do at the end of the week, we're going to have the five like pictures of all of them together. Right. I, I figured good. I'd do top five. So I keep it Monday through Friday. Nice. So, yep. So yeah, look forward to that next week. So we'll finish out this week with uh diecast daily of Christmas cars. Um, there's a full size tractor trailer coming up next. <laughs> um, Ooh. Actually, no, well, after, after today, there's a huh? scale, well, <laughs> scale a full, a full size scale. Yeah. Full. Meaning it's a tractor and trailer that are Christmas themed. Sorry, it's not an actual tractor trailer. Yes. What scale are we doing today, guys? One to one. <laughs> no, so there's actually, I didn't post it up yet. I took pictures earlier. There's a, another ornament one going today. And then tomorrow for Christmas Eve is the 18-wheeler. The so actually, I think it would be a 14-wheeler because it's an old 50s truck. It only has six wheels in the cab but anyway cool pedantic pedantic discussion that's not important to the end of the podcast mm-hmm. so i'm gonna end it right here andrew i think that's a podcast i'm calling it a podcast sweet so merry christmas everyone uh and to all we'll be back night we'll be back before the new year well, we'll at least two more episodes i think Ooh, two put us on put us on the spot one or two yeah hey we'll I, definitely- have, I have the next four days off we can definitely record um so as always keep cars analog and name for the roses oh i was just about to say it i was gonna take your thunder <laughs> oh speaking of which do you know that that was three years ago yesterday we recorded that episode oh was it yep it came up on my memories in facebook huh still to this day my favorite episode yeah that's pretty good yeah pretty good we need to do another deep dive or something like that it's been a while Pretty good. Unlike the end of this podcast. It was pretty strong up until the last three minutes. Yeah. And cut sure. and the bleeding. Into Rolling Thunder. Silence. Silence.